The Irish agreed with the English that in international matches they would only play the... Like when we go to Wembley, they will only play the, the British national anthem, English national anthem, and when they come to Dublin, we would only play ours. And when they didn't play the English national anthem, I got a bit annoyed, and I went to Joe Delaney behind, and I said, what the hell's going on? Why haven't they played... It? It, and Joe said, oh, there's a deal they made about ten years ago. I said, well, they didn't tell me the deal, and I'm English. So I wanted them to play it, because I think it would have been a great thing because the Irish would have stood still and quiet and listened. They would have done that. Well, they and I was do. sorry we didn't get the opportunity to do it. They are great fans, the Irish. And here comes Hurst. He's got some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. It is now. It's four. And Charlton. Sheedy's won it back. And Sheedy shoots. It was Jack's way or the highway. If you didn't do you know, what he was expected from you, then he'd get somebody else in. Uh, very straightforward, straight talking. Um, you know, you knew exactly what he wanted from you. I think it's terrible. I think he done great things for uh, Ireland. The big man from Donegal has set it up. Because I couldn't believe it when David O'Leary went to take the penalty. The nation holds its breath. Yes, for that! I loved him. I still love him. I loved him. And we all, we all loved him. We'll, we'll all miss him dreadfully because he was, as I say, unique Jack Charles. Welcome back to another week's episode of Sportsbeat Extra. Such sad news this morning to hear about the passing of Jack Charlton. My memories of Jack rest firmly from the archives of VHS tapes in the cupboard under our TV both as a player and a manager, and with the abiding memory actually away from the football field in a tweed cap by the river, indulging in his favourite pastime of fly fishing. This is Sportsbeat Extra. But the world of sport is continuing its slow return, and here on Sportsbeat Extra, we have a great show for you this week. It's Kevin Galvin here, back in the hot seat, and not just many thanks to Eva Kearns for filling in for me last week, getting a few big scoops from TJ Reid. We also talked to Larry Morrissey this week about a fantastic scheme St. Mary's and Rossair are running to give people in direct provision opportunities through the club. But first we chat to Nicole Drought, one of Ireland's leading race drivers, who chats about the return of Formula One, Formula Female, and how much she's learned from simulators in lockdown. Sports Beat Extra. Beats 102-103. So we're delighted to have on the show uh, Nicole Drought. Um, Nicole uh, from Ross Crane Tipperary, but uh, flying the international flag. You've, I know with, with the pandemic, it's been a, a quieter time than usual, but you still had, uh, I suppose, a, a busy year of it nonetheless. Um, I heard you were, or you, you put up that you were uh, testing a, a Jordan in, over in, in America um, in February. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I had a, a pretty exciting start to the year. Um, I suppose I, I was one of the lucky ones. I got to, I got to go away to, to Miami for, for a week in, in February and even more so I got to drive uh, some of John Campion's uh, collection of cars, uh, including the, the Jordan Formula One car. So that was pretty special. Um, really, really amazing experience. It's it's one that'll be that'll be with me forever, that's for sure. Um, yeah, and then the lockdown came and I suppose I, I was kind of grateful that I got away. I didn't think, I kind of had it in my head that maybe the, the season wasn't going to go ahead this year with the way things were going. But thankfully, with the way people have respected the rules and the gui- guidelines, we're, we're back on track now again. Um, but I certainly did keep busy over the lockdown. It wasn't, it wasn't the case of sitting back and relaxing. I was preparing as much as I could for the season ahead. Um, I got a simulator from digitalmotorsports.com 
and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm relatively new to, to simulator racing, but it was uh, it's absolutely fantastic to, be able to learn the tracks. I don't know all the tracks in the UK, so to be able to, to practice that and use that as a tool for for the year ahead, it was the lockdown actually worked out kind of okay for me. Um, and I, we will talk about the simulator in a second because if there's ever a, a pet topic to talk about um, then v- listeners to this show will know we had Eamon Murphy on who was a, a virtual an esports driver not so long ago about the virtual 24 hour Le Mans and I'm going to be talking to you about that in a bit but I suppose um, just speaking generally um, like you know with that opportunity to go over and race Jordan I know it's not the first time you were in an F1 car but I suppose a, a more modern uh, iteration of it um, as an ambassador as you are for Formula Female um, it really for, for women there's there's not that many opportunities to, to get in behind a car of that power and how did you, how did you find uh, that whole experience? Yeah I mean it was crazy um, it's, someone said to me you know it must be a dream come true but I actually thought it was so out of reach that it wasn't actually really kind of one of my dreams. Um, but at last August, um, John brought over his Guinness March, an iconic Formula One car. And that week, I, I literally found out that I was going to be driving it in Mandela. And you know, getting to drive at your home circuit in a Formula One car who was, well, that was driven by Derek Daly, and Derek is going to be there himself. Um, that was pretty spectacular. And it's it's I can still feel it in my tummy right now, and um, the, the the feeling and the way the day went, and it's absolutely incredible. Um, I know like not many people can say that they they got to drive a Formula One car, so I definitely count myself as as very lucky. And it's you know I suppose it, it it's brilliant as well to to see a female get to drive something like that, and you know it, it got loads of publicity, and hopefully a lot of younger girls got to see that as well, and it, it got them interested into the sport. Yeah, because I mean, tell us, like, you're you're a great ambassador for for a lot of 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 girls around the country because I think it's fair to say Ross Cray isn't exactly a hotbed of of motorsport activity. You know, I mean, I know there's obviously rallying all over the country, but how does a how does a girl from from Ross Cray end up uh, kind of getting involved and and end up, you know, stepping into a car like that? I'm not sure if I if I'm lucky or Yeah, well, I mean, if you just look at your your CV, uh, you know, first woman to win an Irish tour, cor, uh, Touring Car Championship, testing Porsche GT3s in the Castellet, Striker, Ch- like, you know, it's it, it's fair to say you have a very strong CV behind you going into this. Um, and the latest thing now you're hoping, I suppose, to to pick up is the uh, is the Brick Car Endurance Championship that's beginning this weekend. Uh, you're in Croft. You were saying uh, in Croft, which is in North Yorkshire. You were saying that you're you weren't over. 
overly au fait with the tracks in the UK so um, like the simulator how have you found that whole experience of getting it and, and how useful do you have have you found it in terms of learning those circuits yeah I mean it's been absolutely mega um, you know I, I've only ever driven one of the tracks that's on the the um, on the calendar and that's Smedderton I drove in the, the C1 Endurance last year and I actually can't describe how valuable it is to have the simulator you know, just for the layouts, I was in Silverstone last week and uh, testing the Porsche, and I drove on on the simulator just to to learn the layout of the international track, and it was just such a relief. You know, it was an, an, another little bit of stress gone off your day, knowing that you, you know the layout, you know which way the track goes. So it's it's incredibly useful, and I I don't think I could have improved as much as I did only for having having the simulator. So I think uh, simulators have really seemed to have taken off and sim racing since the lockdown. Every single person in, that's even remotely involved in motorsport wants to have a simulator. So, fantastic to see and to see the, the sim races against the pros, real life racing. It's, uh, it's, it's been really cool to, to keep an eye on as well, but definitely very, very useful for me and even to learn craft for this weekend. Um, you know, I wouldn't have a clue with the layout, but I've, I've done a good few laps now to, to at least know what way it goes. So, that'll be a huge benefit for me going to test on, on, on Friday. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm just looking at the calendar here. Actually, one of my favourite tracks to race in the same Moulton Park is on it. So it'll be interesting to see how that is. Very, very tight circuit. Um, and one of the other tracks on it, interestingly, is uh, Spa-Francorchamps um, in Belgium, which people might know from the Formula One circuit. But it's actually on the weekend of the FAA World Endurance Championship, the twenty now the now 25 hours of uh, of Spa, because it, it takes place on the weekend where the hour changes. Um, are you going to be competing in that as well? And I suppose a fantastic chance to get exposure uh, for, for yourself and uh, for uh, teammate um, uh, Sean Doyle so you know you, you guys are the only two Irish in it so you're really kind of representing the country Yeah that's that's actually just an added bonus round it's not part of the, the actual mm. championship but if the opportunity does come I mean Spa has been has been a track that I really want to wanted to drive on every single racing driver uh, it's a track that, that they want to drive on um, so if the opportunity does come up, absolutely 100%, mate, myself and Sean will, will be there if the opportunity comes. Um, as I said, you know, supporting the World Endurance Championship as well, which is absolutely huge. Um, so that would be that would be mega, definitely, for uh, the point of view that you get a lot of promotion for that. It would be, be a very, very cool uh, thing to do. Um, I suppose just just speaking, and I, I don't, I don't want to take this down the road of kind of women in motorsport, because I'm sure you've done these uh, sort of events a million times over. But just uh, speaking particularly about the, the Formula Female, um, how important is that initiative and, and how, I suppose, grateful are you to be a part of that? Because it, it really is uh, putting women on the forefront. Absolutely, I'm a proud ambassador for Formula Female and, and for everything that, that they do. Um, it's just, I suppose, growing up, people always ask, you know, who is your, your female idol in motorsport? And I suppose the only person I knew was Rosemary Smith. Mm. And I mean, she's absolutely fantastic and, and she's very well known in Ireland and, and abroad too. Um, but outside of that, I didn't actually really know any females. Now, I know there, there, are, there are more out there, but, you know, I didn't really have anyone to look up to that, that was female. Um, so I think... This is massively important, number one, to show you know, other young girls that they can have role models in the sport. And number two as well, just to raise the awareness, because I think there can be an idea that you know it's, it's kind of a, a male sport. And it's just to kind of show the girls that you know you can compete. It's not just for the boys. Uh, you can come out here and play too. And um, 
just getting the results to show them that there, there is no difference and uh, we can be equally as, as competitive. Um, there are a lot more girls coming through and you can see it in, even in Carty in Ireland. Uh, you have Alex Colby, Roisin Sweeney, Alan Donnelly, all these names coming through and they're, they're absolutely fantastic drivers and I've, I've met them on plenty of occasions and had great chats with them and it's wonderful to see the, the younger generation coming up and I hope we can we can build even more in that true form of female. Um, and generally, I suppose, you, I, I don't know whether you've raced against um, uh, sim racers or esports racers, but we even we were talking about yesterday, there seems to be a real... Um, Mutual respect now between the real life racers and the 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 the, the simulation racers racers, and it's great to get to see those two worlds collide. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I, I've done uh, a couple of brick car e races and a couple of sim races actually came and joined us, and it's just it's so viciously competitive. It's yeah. brilliant. It's like after I did a, a, I think the races were about twenty twenty five minutes, and like. I was feeling it by the end of it. I was starting to get tired. I was starting to feel like you really would in, in the cockpit. And it was it was absolutely mega. I was I was soaked after it. I, I, it was like I was after doing the real real thing. So it definitely is absolutely fantastic. And as you say, if you if you can't afford to do real life racing, you can slowly build up your sim rig. I mean, digital motorsports were, uh, in Mondello were absolutely fantastic with helping me getting a sim rig together. Um, so you can slowly build it up as you go. You don't have to spend a fortune. Um, right away and as well with Formula Females you know if, even if you don't have an interest in driving um, there's actually a STEM course um, done by Formula Female where they go to school and basically get the girls to build a data logger um, do pit stop challenges basically using the subjects in school and trying to apply them to, to more sport life so even if you don't want to become a driver you know you might you might have interest in, in getting involved in the more sport world and becoming an engineer or a mechanic or something like this so there's loads of different ways of, of getting involved in the sport rather than just being a driver either so it's um yeah, it's exciting. We, we've seen now, I suppose, thankfully, and I suppose as somebody who loves in racing a bit, uh, it's a bit tinged with sadness, but um, the virtual turning back into the real, we had the virtual GP in Formula One, we had all the NASCAR stuff, the V8 supercars over in Oz, they're all back real racing. Um, the Formula One was obviously the, the huge one. I presume you were watching the race uh, on Sunday in Austria. I mean, it, it, to be fair, I think after the the months of waiting, we've kind of had five months of incidents packed into a single race for that Austrian Grand Prix. <laughs> I actually didn't get to watch it, but I was watching highlights afterwards and, and, and keeping an eye on the results, and I was absolutely delighted for Lando Longhurst, and I'm a big fan. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's like uh, it's like they were doing an online race or something <laughs> like this and, and having a bit of fun rather than... than to, and taken serious by the signs of it, but um, yeah, a lot of a lot of non finishes. But for the guys that did finish, there'll be some some good points on the table. I think if I was in the championship and I finished and I got those those all important points, it'll definitely uh, make a big difference at the end of the year. But it looks like it's shaping up to be a good year, and definitely will be will be following with a close eye. Yeah, look, it's good to be really, really close between a lot of the teams. Um, and, and speaking of Lando, I think anybody who knows of him, uh, he called himself full-time Twitch streamer, part-time racer uh, this weekend, which I thought was pretty funny. Anybody who knows him knows he's a really funny guy. Um, you know, Daniel Ricciardo kind of started that theme of Formula One drivers kind of being able to show their personality. Um, for you yourself, I suppose, is it like... A lot of these things can trickle down sometimes. So, uh, have you ever found it, or do you find it easier now that you can kind of express your personality a bit more and be more, a bit more like yourself um, when you're when you're doing interviews and and have that bit of crack? Whereas uh, maybe off the back of that, or has it kind of always been that way? Um, 
I think I've always been pretty much myself. Um, I wouldn't like to change it just for an interview because, you know, someone might meet you in real life and think that, you know, you're, you're, you're not like what you are in an interview and I'm exactly the way, the way I'm talking to you right now. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I just go on as myself and, and don't feel any pressure to have to put on any, any kind of persona or anything. But, um, yeah, no, I think, I think the best thing is to be yourself because, I don't know, would you disappoint someone if you met them and they weren't as they were in an interview? If they were a good crack, of course. For you, Nicole, what's on the horizon now? We have the brick car, obviously the Endurance Championship. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about that. Um, now, when I saw the word endurance, I was thinking like 24-hour stuff that not I had been doing in the sim, but it's a little bit less than that, but you are sharing a, a car with a teammate. Yeah, so I'm supported by CJJ Motorsports um, this year. They have an academy for young drivers, myself and, and James Rowe in the academy, and he's doing uh, Formula Regionals in America, F3. Um, and I'm doing the Brick Car Championship in the UK, uh, sharing the car with Sean Doyle. Yeah, they're one-hour races, um, two one-hour races over each weekend and half-an-hour qualifying. So require a, a nice little pit stop in the middle of the race. Um, it'll be a bit longer than your, your average sprint race. Usually races will be about 15 minutes or so. So it'll be a little bit more work in the car, and that's for sure. And the, and the car is it's super fast as well. So... Yeah, it's shaping up to be, to be a great year and uh, there'll definitely be a lot of learning. It's a big step up for me, but um, I love the car. The team are great and I have wonderful, wonderful people around me. So, yeah, hopefully it will be, will be a good year and I can, I can give back to, to John and Suzanne with some good results at the end of the year. Five counties, one big sports show. Sports Beat Extra. Brilliant. So we're joined, delighted to be joined in studio. What a treat, uh, Larry. When I was when I was giving you a ring, I wasn't expecting for you to to drop into us, but it worked out very nicely. Uh, Larry Marcy of St Mary's and Ross Lair. Um, I suppose. Look, uh, Ross Lair. As I was saying to you, it's not so long ago I was down there talking about the unfortunate story of uh, whatever fourteen migrants arriving. You guys are kind of almost at the epicenter of this happening in Ireland. So. Um, the clubs it seems like you, you guys in St Mary's are kind of working with the local centre here to try and set up something to make life easier for, for people in direct provision Yeah it sort of indirectly happened um, we, we have a, a leader fund grant in for a, a walking track around our club and uh, we had some interaction with uh, some people in there and um, we, we came about talking to them uh, about the direct provision centre so it's, it evolved uh, through something totally different you know and I suppose just uh, tell us sorry, kind of where did the idea come from originally because that, that's how where was where, did they reach out to you did you reach out to them or kind of how did that work out no um, I met with a woman called Emily O'Rourke and uh, she was explaining what was going on in the village and so forth and uh, during discussions she said that there was a, a chap that had, had played football before and he'd been in the system um, for four years in Ireland here and um, he'd played football in Cavan so um, she gave him my, my contact details and we've like any club in Ireland we're always struggling for numbers and trying to chase lads and um, I suppose that we ended up with him that way you know and uh, we met with him that night and he came training um, Ahmad Yusevi is the, the guy uh, in question we're, talk, we're talking about um, I suppose it's great for for the fact that he had kind of previous football experience meant that it's probably a lot easier for him to come in training and kind of you already knew what it was about there was no case of having to show him any of the drills or anything he just kind of got straight into it I presume well uh, at the start he had none of that because we were still in lockdown so uh -huh. uh, we were only allowed to meet in groups of 15 um, so his first day experience with us wasn't uh, 
it wasn't uh, football. It was a, a heavy uh, running session, and okay. uh, he didn't get on well. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit more. You saying he struggled going up the hill? Yeah, we've we've a, a very good natural training facility uh, down in uh, Rossler Harbour, which uh, there's a hundred and two steps, I think, up a up a cliff, and there's a big ramp up another side of it. And uh, I was doing the, the steps, and I got a phone call off of one of the lads saying. Uh, I don't think he's going to make it. He's he's looking a bit shook here, Larry. You better come up here. So he was under a bit of pressure for a few minutes, all right. And uh, we took care of him as best we could. So uh, when when it came out that there was going to be a direct provision in in Rosslare, um, it's it's the lack of knowledge of the locals. So it's not a huge community down there. And um, I went to some of the meetings that there was, and yeah, I was very apprehensive. Um, because I've I've young daughters and they're teenage daughters and they're out around the village. You don't know who's coming into the parish. You don't know what's what's going on, what's going to be about, um, and you don't get a huge amount of information. Um, now that you you see more and you meet these people and you talk to them, um, you think, God, we're so lucky, you know, in Ireland. And I see the, my my first experience was uh, was I got a I got a phone call off from my sister in law uh, saying, "Geez, Larry, you'll be delighted. There's a little lad about two foot tall with a hurl out in the middle of the car park, you know." Yeah. And uh, so I drove down for a look, like you know, to to say, "Geez, this is brilliant!" Like you know, yeah. um. So we threw in a few balls and hurls, and you know. Hopefully we'll 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 get the rewards of the county championship in another, yeah. another while. <laughs> well, that would make an amazing story. I mean, yeah. can you imagine the county championship where four lads on the team are, are yeah. from. The, but it's not just that as well. The guys are working. I suppose they're because just the DP system is. I mean, there are so many flaws with it. Um, one of the biggest ones is that people in direct provision find it so difficult to find work, and they find it impossible to get references. Um, particularly going trying to get out and trying to get out of that system and trying to find established work is so difficult because they're not in touch with the community so for the club to be able like as you say if you get some a few people in and you know they're really good you you, you know you can you've gotten to know them they've done, done good work for the club that you can feel that you're in a position to be able to to give them a good reference and you know let's be honest the 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 um you know the the committee of a local GA team still holds its weight in modern society. So to be able to have that that local backing behind you would be like it's gold dust really for people like people that are in direct provision. Yeah, um, that's a definite. And and straight away, uh, the day after, two days after the first training session, uh, I got a text off Ahmed, and and he was so thankful and grateful for bringing to the training session. And offer these services uh, if we want any anything done up around the clubhouse and painting. Um, he said he he'd done an awful lot of painting in a previous life and he wanted to help out in any way he could. And some of the other people down there were the same. So, like, I suppose it's very it's very easy for all us uh, when we go out looking jobs. We know Joe or Tommy or Bill, and you're, you're able to put a call or you ring a fella that's going to put in a name for you. And a good word. Yeah. Whereas these 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 know not nobody. And if it's a case that we see them in our clubhouse as being good, active people, workers that want to help out a little bit, and we can at least give them a good reference to say, look, they've worked in, in up the clubhouse ten hours a week helping out, uh, voluntary, um, and we find them to be good people. That carries a bit of weight when you're trying to get a job or when they're trying to get out and and get some form of income to to feed families you know so it's very difficult for them to yeah. to interact in any way i suppose one of the the big problems that i, I hear through emily o'rourke is that the the movement of these people they won't leave them long enough to let them mm-hmm. find their feet 
and and that that is a huge difficult because just as you're starting to make contacts and and maybe a means of getting some spud picking or as you used to laugh about the strawberry picking in Wexford like you know something that that they can actually go out and do a day's work and it, it's it's very difficult to see how they're going to even get to that stage from where they are now walking up the village and just smiling at people and saying hello you know they, you can't see how they're going to interact unless somebody approaches them to assist them to interact yeah and i suppose you were telling me you're only back to work today after what 16 weeks during lockdown yeah. so even just like for your own mental health to be able to get out and work you know i know myself if i'm lying spare i'm i'm going spare so yeah. for these you know just to just to get people uh, motivation out of work you know you, you could probably understand it now more than ever yeah and even even personal space you yeah. know it's it's very difficult I, I think the number is 70 people in the in the center down there i thought i could be corrected on that but it's in around that and it's not a huge area and a huge facility and the the amount of recreational facilities in Ross Lair, since the whole hotel industry f- mm. fell on its face, there's no swim pools or gyms or anything like that anymore. So there's there's not a huge amount of activity for them to to get into. Um, I think the the overall parish of of to go at Ross Lair, uh, has about three thousand of a population, and uh, it's not the same as putting them in the middle of a town where there there might be snooker clubs and um, youth groups and so forth. We, we we don't have that much there, so. For them to actually find something to do is going to be very difficult. And it's a very uh, strange population or a strange position for the parish to be in as well, because it is such a small parish, and yet you're kind of on the forefront of this because you you have the port. And if I suppose for for a place like Ross there more than anywhere else around Ireland, to be able to have interaction with these people and to understand where they're coming from is is just so important. So that there's you know because it's such an unusual situation to have such a small parish having parachuted kind of people that because they've just arrived, it just happens to be where they arrived in Ireland. Yeah, I think the, the, the fear factor is the lack of knowledge. Mm. You know, you're you're very nervous as, as a parent um, and, and a house owner and so forth, where they've come from, what they've done. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, we don't know about what, what, what they've, where they've come from or anything about them until such time as they're here. So yeah. it's, it's very difficult to to see how people can relax to the situation and I, I was at a meeting in Hotel Ross Lair probably a year year and a half ago and uh, where I spoke the same as I'm speaking to you where it's it's the fear factor of the lack of knowledge mm-hmm. um, and in that room there was I'd say 70% of people against the direct provision centre originally opening in the old the old Hotel Ross Lair mm-hmm. um, now that they're here people have mellowed a little bit to it and there's some of the older people you'd still hear them maybe a bit nervous for mm-hmm. their they're seeing people walking in twos and threes up along and you, you've old people walking on their own. They're a little bit dubious of, of who's coming towards yeah. them, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it just through talking to people over the last couple of weeks and especially since the article and all, they seem to have mellowed a good bit, but there will be people out there that won't be happy about it and they're still not happy about it. Mm. But I, 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 we, we have it. I believe we're going to be stuck with it. We're, we're, we're European and we're part of the EU. We, we can't... We can't change that anymore, you know. So, Larry, I suppose, um, like, what I know you're saying that you're, there's a plan kind of developing at the moment. Um, I know it's very, as we say, very early days yet. What are your hopes that it might become, or what? What are the club kind of hoping in an ideal scenario? What might happen over the next couple of months and into further long term? Yeah, ideally, I suppose uh, if we if we can end up with interaction between the two parties, um, We've we've a huge facility. We're on twenty nine acres, big premises. Um, 
Emily's in a situation where she has people that are wanting to help out and be proactive and trying to get integrated. If we can get in a position where we can get grass cut and hedges cut and a bit of maintenance around the place, we might be in a position to give them free gym membership or use of the facilities during the day. Um, and it's all up in the air at the minute. And we'll have to, ever, obviously, all everything in the GA is committee-based. Yes. So um, I've spent five hours with Emily the other day trying to jot down pointers and plans and ideas. So over the next couple of weeks, I'm, I'm sure we'll start putting things to committees and, and making sure as a group, communitively, we're, we're, we're happy with the way we're going forward. But I'd say it'll be a, a toe in the water for a while and, and yeah. see how it goes, you know. Um, but it it would be a crying shame that we have such a huge facility, um, big indoor hurling arenas and recreational halls and so forth, and they're empty from... 8 o'clock in the morning they're only really busy from 5 in the evening to, mm. to 9 in the evening you know and other people crying out to use them Tracking sport across the southeast. So that's it from this week's Sports Speed Extra my thanks again to Eva for taking over last week's show and a reminder you can listen to that this or any other episode by visiting beat102103.com forward slash podcasts but given the date it's in it there's only one way we can finish the show to the man who gave it some lash